Welcome to the podcast. We do recover with Jared Miller, your host. And I'm Dr. Terry Sellers, your co-host. This is a podcast about recovery from addiction. We want to talk about what successful recovery can look like. Brought to you by Steps Recovery Center and the St. George Hilton Garden Inn. Welcome to We Do Recover. This is episode 26. I'm your host, Jared Miller. Today I'm joined by your co-host, our medical expert, Dr. Sellers. Good morning, everybody. We also have here in the studio with us today... The producer, Sean Denovan. I'm just a producer. That's right. And our featured guest, uh, a friend of mine, She's an, she is one of the kindest, most sweetest people you'll ever meet, Tia. With, I, I blanked because I'm terrible with names. I How do I pronounce it. the last name? Bithel. Bithel. Thank you. See, this just goes to show, uh, you know, none of us are perfect, right? I names struggle with names. Bithel. Tia Bithel. <laughs> All right. This podcast was recorded in sunny St. George, even though it is raining today. Right, Tia? Yeah, it's so cold. Kind of cold, cloudy out there. Episode episode 26, part one is brought to you by Steps Recovery Centers, where addiction ends and healing begins. Listen to me. If your loved one needs help, give them a call. Reach out. 801-800-8142. Just like we do every week, let's start this thing off with new and good. Dr. Sellers, you want to kick us off with what's new and good? Um... Yeah, I do, but I don't know what's new and good. So um, new and good for me this week, well, I was down in St. George last week with uh, a really good friend who was on the podcast and got to play some golf. That was new and good, although it was kind of cold and rainy last weekend too. Yeah, that's a thing. Uh, the other thing is for me, uh, I have a brother that's two years younger than me that passed away from alcoholism. And uh, his birthday was this week. It was a little rough for me, but also reminded me that I'm happy that I'm here and not using and not, uh, I don't have much chance of dying tomorrow. Love that. Love that. And happy birthday to your brother. Yeah. Shining down. All right. Tia, what's new and good in your world? Wow. New and good. Well, being here, this is interesting. <laughs> you asked me to be here a while ago, and I was like, yeah, sure. <laughs> the yeah. day has come. Now it here it is a month later, and I'm like, oh, wow, it's here. <laughs> um, so that's where we're at with this. Um, and good. Today is a fantastic day. I get to celebrate with one of my best friends, um, a milestone in her life with her recovery. Nice. I got to wake up and have a great morning with her. And yeah, we've been doing this road of recovery together and she's celebrating a milestone and it's pretty awesome. So that's, that's, so, my, that's good in my life today. Yeah. That's so cool. Isn't connection so much fun, right? Oh, like when you can, it. yeah. When you see other people hit those milestones and it mm. kind of inspires you and motivates you to hit, to do the same thing. Yeah. So shout out to Shelly. Woo woo. Love it. Shout out to Shelly. Yeah. All right. Sean Denovan, what's new and good in the world of Sean Denovan? Yeah, just busy as always. Got, yeah. my, got my side hustles. Got another side hustle. Just lining them up and knocking another them down. Another trip out of town to do some stuff. So, hey, you know. I'm Where big, are you going? I'm big, uh, back to Washington. Okay. Yeah, so I, I get to build two studios for a radio station. So, uh, it's exciting for me. Sean loses that's some weight and, and becomes a rock star. Oh, that's right. I'm, that I'm down 27 pounds now. Nice. Oh, really? Boom. Since when? Uh, I don't know, November-ish. Wow. That's incredible. Yeah. Love it. Nice. nice. All right. Let's jump into this thing. All right. Question number one. Are you ready? Sure. Let's okay. Hear it. Okay. <laughs> so tell our listeners, who is Tia Bithel? Tia Bithel. I am a St. George native. Local. Um, Love that. Local. Uh, I am a mom. I have... Three kids. I am a grandma. What? No I way. Know. You're way too young yes. to be a grandma. No, I know. It's fabulous. Don't try to tell that lie. <laughs> I know. Oh, he's the best. Um, they are the best. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I got my head start to motherhood pretty early. Yeah. Um, 
Get your get it done then. Good for yeah, you, right? Like yeah. let's get this done. That's right. <laughs> yeah, I I started very early and I've watched my kids go past that age without having kids and it's like, wow. <laughs> um How old were you when your first kid was born? I was fifteen. That's young. Yeah, I was moved out, had my own kid car place and husband before i had my license or 16. really yes wow that's a unique story yes it's pretty sweet yes (laughs) cool yeah uh kids are great um so uh my tell me about your kids like names and ages thane is 25 he is married to nancy and they have my son my grandson brantley Sweet. And they live in Alaska. Whoa. Yes, that part's not so fun. They're in the military. Yeah. And hopefully next year they'll be able to come home or at least closer to home. Um, my next one is Tristan. And he is married to Lexi. And they live in Cedar. And he's 24. A little closer than Alaska. Yes. And he comes home quite a bit more so that's great um he and lexi come all the time and then i have my youngest is hadley and she just turned 16. and yeah she keeps me on my toes keeps me very busy nice nice yeah we have a fun story about her (laughs) i mean they all come with fun stories right (laughs) absolutely absolutely yeah okay well we got y'all warmed up now we're just gonna dive right into it okay All right. So this is a podcast about addiction, recovery from addiction, though. We like to emphasize the recovery part, right? Keep it light, not dark and heavy. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's what makes us different from other addiction podcasts. So tell me, can you pinpoint what it was that led to your addiction? Like when you think back, is there a certain event or I don't know, childhood? Like what was it for you that led to your addiction? Um, you know, I always felt different growing up. Um, my parents were divorced. I never really blamed it on that, but I always felt different. Um, always, I don't know if this makes sense, but sometimes in school, like they'd be going on to the next subject or talking about the next thing. And I'd be like, did I just miss this whole last I don't know, quarter of everything they just learned. Cause I, I don't like, I didn't catch on to what they were saying or, or I just missed it. You know, I just never felt like I fit in or, or knew what was going on. Yeah, no, I totally can relate. Sometimes yeah. I'll be reading a book and I'll read an entire page and then think to myself, what did I just read? Oh yeah, totally. <laughs> okay. Yeah. It just never felt like I fit in with the crowd, you know? And, um, we lived in, here, um, Richfield and then my parents divorced and we lived, moved down here, um, when I was in fourth grade. So I always felt like I just never really fit in with everybody in elementary when in all reality, that was just me. That was just my head telling me and my disease. I think it was just started at a young age, you know, um, as far as the addiction, I think it was, I've always drank alcoholically. I always taken, you know, pills or anything like that. I can't, I just always took them. Yeah. Not, moder- not as directed. Right. Moderation's <laughs> never been, uh, never been something you've been able to, I guess, do right. Like, no. what do they say? Social drinking hasn't exactly worked for you. You don't know what no. that looks like. No. <laughs> All right. So let's dive into that without glorifying or or war story in, um, share with us kind of what was your darkest days? What did they look like? How did it feel? Like you kind of led into it, right? You struggle with alcohol and Mm -hmm. when you say pills, uh, opiates, uh, Mm -hmm. uppers, downers, what what was, yeah, definitely. Um, you know, alcohol was always my go-to drugs are part of my story way back in the day. We were heavy into some of the like party drugs. And there's a lot of crazy stories there, but 
Um, alcohol was always my go-to and the one that would fix everything for me. Um, and, uh, John, I'm blank here for a second. Um, yeah, I, I felt like it would solve everything, you know? Um, yeah. I was going through a divorce and I just, I turned to alcohol for everything. Yeah. And, and it's interesting, like just uh, psychopharmaceutical, right? Dr. Mm -hmm. Sellers, like we know uppers and downers, right? Different chemicals react differently in our brains as far as that goes. And I find that opiates and alcohol, they're both depressants. Mm -hmm. And for me, I, I kind of put it in this category of a way to numb, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's a way yeah. to kind of numb up, separate from reality. Is that true for you? Oh yeah, I have a I have a bad back, and that's where a lot of it started too. Is I had started with the pills for my back and all of those issues, and then the pills would run out so fast, and then I would turn to the alcohol, and you know, and then you, it becomes the juggling act. You know, the pills are gone in a couple of days, and so then you run to the alcohol, and then it's you're just it's just the back and forth game, and um, I just completely lost myself in in all of that. And I didn't know who I was any longer. You know, yeah. I became this person that I didn't even know who I was looking in the mirror any longer. I wasn't the mom that I, that I knew I could be and that I, you know, that, that you wanted to be right. At what age did it really become apparent that you like had a, a serious problem? Right. Because like you said, you kind of, people will dabble or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. Just kind of a social thing. Mm -hmm. But then I feel like there's, in addiction, there's one common thing. There comes a point where you can't stop, right? Like yeah. when you actively try and you right. just can't. Right. Like, so age of first use and when did that identify for you? Um, Age of first use, I think I was about 14. Um, and that was just little things here and there. But coming up on when it became a real big problem, I would say when it was, it was about 10 years ago, um, became really bad out of, and then eight years ago, it was out of control. Um, seven years ago, I would say tried to stop. Yeah. Made an effort of trying to stop. Um, I went through some really, really, really traumatic things. Um, I have, I suffer some, from some severe PTSD. I was in a really bad robbery, oh, <laughs> um, man. which, you know, I, I've seeked other help to take care of a lot of those things. And, and I, I don't think, um, you know, my drinking didn't come. It, I want to hear about the robbery. Are you comfortable sharing about that? Yeah, I don't know if we have a lot of time for that, but give us <laughs> give us got, kind of a summary. Got some time. Yeah. Um it was just you know at, at work and it was yeah, it was just it was really bad. <laughs> so Tia works at a bank mm -hmm. to kind of make those connections, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, but I I was trying to get sober at that time and then when all of that happened it just kind of put me into a tailspin and I really couldn't get a grip on, on my recovery at that point. Um, and I did seek, uh, treatment after that. I went and put myself into residential treatment okay. a little bit later after that. Okay. So how long has it been since that incident happened, since the robbery um, happened? It was on September 11th. Um, oh, has it been seven years now? I'd have to sit and do the calculations. Got I haven't you. even thought that far right now. Some so years almost, I do great and some yeah. years I don't. And that's the funny thing about PTSD. Yeah. You know, it's a whole different ball game versus my alcoholism. You know, and right. I have no control over that. Yeah, definitely so. separate from a oh, substance completely. abuse disorder, right? Completely. So do you ever, do you, this is probably a dumb question, but do you ever get nervous? No. Like it, it's your job now? Like is that PTSD? Like what are some things that can kick up your PTSD if you're at work that makes you kind of relive that or have those feelings come back? Well, that's, that's a real funny thing too is because 
My 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 God has a quite the sense of humor. <laughs> uh, this whole virus thing has been really fun. <laughs> um, you know, having people come in with masks. Um, oh yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. And the cold weather and the beanies and all of that oh, fun stuff yeah. has been really entertaining. Um, but we went through a period where the doors were locked and we were just letting people in by appointment. And so that really did a lot of healing for me. Um, I kind of, I switched desks and I was able to let people, we were able to let people in at will, you know, by appointment. And um, I was able to work on that. I moved desks and I just kind of have worked on my anxiety. You know, I've- You've kind of eased back into yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. and I, I, ha I work with other, you know, doctors and different things, you know, and. You know, I feel in a very, very good place with it right now. I'm in a good place in my recovery. Um, you know, was it last year? No, two years ago on, it'll be okay. A year and a half ago on the anniversary. I didn't handle it very well. Last year I handled it just fine. You know, I, but that's that on the, the, Got you. on the robbery. I mean, Got you. cool. But it's definitely so, part of your story. Yeah, it was huge. <laughs> Go ahead. Sellers. I got a couple of quick observations and a qu maybe a question, but <laughs> the first thing that I heard that I want to point out that uh, I like to recap sometimes some of the things that we learn, but you said I felt different and I think we've done 26 episodes and probably 24 people have said I felt different, I felt different than the other kids in my class or mm -hmm. other kids my age. That's a really, really common theme. So the problem is people that feel different feel alone, but from what I'm learning from this podcast, they're not the only people out there that feel different. There are actually quite a few people that feel different. So um, maybe feeling different is the norm rather than the uh, rather than the exception. Uh, second thing that I heard that I um, I've been listening to people's stories for a while now and rarely do. I'm sorry, my phone is. <laughs> I thought it was on silent. Um, rarely do you hear people who drink alcohol and use opiates at the same time. Like that doesn't seem to be a very popular combination. Um, and you mentioned because they're both downers and I think that it's maybe a little too much. Uh, but you mentioned that you kind of switched them off when you had plenty of whatever your opiate was, that was fine. And then when you had, when you didn't use turn back to alcohol, but they're not mixed very often, which is an interesting thing, I think. Um, I can't remember what my observe, my, what my question was though. So I'm going to let you keep moving on. Okay. Oh, no, you know, my third observation was really, I've thought about your trauma from the standpoint of a customer, not from the standpoint of a bank teller, but I, you know, I've, I've, I've walked into a bank now in a mask thinking, what would have happened if I would have walked into a bank with a mask two years ago? I might have gotten shot. And now you can't go in without the mask. So I've thought about it from the customer standpoint. But, man, what does a bank teller think who's been involved in a robbery with a guy that wears a mask? That just sounds really traumatic to relive every day. Yeah, kind of a crazy story. So I went out to lunch yeah. with a, a cousin of mine who works in law enforcement. He's actually a, a police officer for uh, Spring Springdale, Springville. Anyway, it's one of those towns by St. George. Uh, Jake Bokley is his name. And he was saying that he was standing in line at the bank and he had a hat on, a mask on, and it dawned on, he like, he always carries a firearm, right? He works in law enforcement and it dawned on him. How crazy is this? I'm in a bank with a hat on, a mask on, and I have my side piece okay. yeah. attached to me. Like that's, mm -hmm. it's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. I'm across the bank at my desk and there's been multiple times, like I'll jump up and be like, Ooh. <laughs> like, like throw that off, get yeah. off or I'll hurry and type to my tellers take them off. And they, they're really good about asking them, can you please pull those down so, so we can identify you? And yeah, that's an interesting you know. spin on the whole COVID thing. And yeah, yeah that's cool. Sure. The yeah. story was but meant it's to be been, told. That's why I say my, God has a real funny sense of humor for me <laughs> because it's taken me a lot of years to get through a lot of this. And, um, since my relapse almost 18 months ago, it's like, um, 16 and a half months ago, um, 
it's just totally been different this time. And I have been able to do so much more work and it feels amazing. And there's been all these other, because that PTSD is such a different trauma that it has a whole different set of work on it, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. It's and like a so, tree. There's the, the stump part, right? Yeah. Main, but then there's different branches. Yeah. yeah. And it's given me that whole other opportunity to work and it's been, it's beautiful. That's cool. That's way cool. Yeah. So Tia, Tia is actually considered, well, it would 16 months be considered early recovery. Uh, still I kind of. still claim it early. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've been around um, for quite a while, you know, and I've had time and I've relapsed and, um, what was that like for you? Like, what, it, what did that look like? Cause we kind of talked about it before we started recording, you would, right. You, I call it the tumble dry, right? right. Where you just keep, you're, so you're stuck in that loop. Mm -hmm. So about how many times, if you can think of how many times have you said, you know what, enough's enough. And then you've gotten to a point where something happens and you just yeah. go right back. I had three, three pretty serious relapses there right in a row. Like, and I would, I would have time and then relapse and then, um, just right. Boom, boom, boom. You know, this last one I had, I would say about, I think it was like six or eight months. And then my relapse was only two weeks long, but it was, it was bad. It was, you know, when you say right. bad, paint us a picture. Cause I, I know you can see it in your head, yeah. but what did that look like? I, you know, almost two weeks worth being out there just drinking nonstop, but I ended up in the hospital back in ICU for, I was in the hospital for almost two weeks mm. and I mean, I was pretty much dead. I had pancreatitis. I was just, I was, it, it was ugly. Yeah. Alcohol is a vicious one, right? Dr. Sellers. Yeah. The, it's that's common. The damage that we do to our bodies from drinking accumulates over time and even if you put some clean time together the damage heals for the most part but if you take another drink it goes right back to where the damage was and you start from there Absolutely. so it's i mean it's an interesting phenomenon when you say i drank for two weeks but then i spent two weeks in the icu mm -hmm. but that's a, an accumulation of damage over time right right it was it was bad so, so Tia, what did, what did your rock bottom or spiritual awakening look like? Like, let's try, we got a, a couple minutes left here in, in part one. So let's make the transition. So what was your rock bottom? Would you say, or that spiritual awakening? Was it the hospital? Was it, you know, it's, I, I have two, okay. I have two of them. Um, I, yeah, that one, since we're talking about that, um, and I do want to touch base on the other one, but maybe we can share that one when we get back. Um, but this one is being at that rock bottom and feeling like I couldn't go on. Like I, I had been at the point where I, I knew what recovery looked like. I knew what I wanted and I knew how good it felt. Um, but I couldn't stop drinking, you know, and being in the hospital and my family not being able to come there, I think I, I'm pretty sure they were just kind of at wit's end, not really knowing what to do with me a, anymore. Right. And an entire group of my dear friends and group of people that are in my close recovery community um, showing up for me and they all just gathered around in my hospital as soon as I was out of ICU and in back into just my own room. Um, I don't think I would have had it in me because I was so full of shame at that point. Yeah. That shame and guilt was just eating me alive. Um, they all came into that hospital room. I mean, I don't think you could have fit another person in there. Oh, wow. And they showed up and just gathered with me um, and showed me so much love and support. Um, that was the most recent one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and they just loved me until I could love myself again, until I could 
you know, decide yeah. to show my face again. Yeah. Yeah. Shame's a, shame is definitely a big part of this thing. I always tell people, nobody can be harder on me than I will be on myself. I promise you that. Any uh, takeaway thoughts, Dr. Sellers? Well, we got 16 seconds left, so I don't have much of a thought, but this is a common story for sure. Thank you. All right. You guys have been listening to episode 26 of We Do Recover featuring Tia Bithel. Join us in part two to get her comeback in life and recovery today. You are listening to We Do Recover with Jared Miller and co-hosted by Dr. Terry Sellers. We'll be right back after this short break with more of We Do Recover with Jared Miller, sponsored by Steps Recovery Center and the Hilton Garden Inn. I'm Desmond Lomax, one of the clinical executives here at Steps Recovery, and once you become the Steps family, you're just a part of the Steps family. A lot of us have overcome substances, overcome addiction, and now we're able to help other people. Second of all, we're also going to help you in a way where you can afford to be helped. Third of all, we're going to give you the same quality that many organizations are charging two to three times, and it's more about you than it is about our organization. We welcome you back to We Do Recover with Jared Miller, co-hosted by Dr. Terry Sellers. Brought to you by Steps Recovery Center and the St. George Hilton Garden Inn. And now with part two of our podcast, Jared Miller and Dr. Terry Sellers. And welcome back. This is episode 26 of We Do Recover. We're talking about Tia Bithel. It's a fantastic story she shared about things that she struggled with in part one. We're going to dive into her story, her life and recovery today here in part two. But before we get to that, let's do a sponsorship mention. Uh, it's We want to, episode 26, part two is brought to you by Hilton Garden Inn in St. George, Utah. It's always sunny and bright at the Hilton Garden Inn in St. George, Utah. If you're traveling through Southern Utah, give them a Google search. Just type in Hilton Garden Inn. I promise you won't regret it. They have amazing amenities. Uh, they're They're awesome. Love them. All right. Any thoughts, Dr. Sellers, before we get? Nope. Nope. I love the Hilton Garden Inn. Thanks for helping out with the podcast. Awesome. Okay. So you said that in part one that you wanted to talk about your rock bottom in the previous one. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to give you the choice here. Do you want to go back and and shed some light on that? Or do you want to jump into part two? No, I want to hear the second one. Okay. So I tell know us, you weren't asking me, but I want to hear this. Tell, tell us what your first rock bottom looked like and, and how long ago. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So this one was, um, it was about four and a half years ago. Okay. Um, and I had, I was at the very, I was just that whole pitiful, incomprehensible demoralization bottom. I could not stop drinking to save my life. I was literally... Drinking yourself drinking to death. Drinking myself to death. I, <laughs> right. I, yes. Like so I constantly. I ended up for, in the hospital for two weeks. Yes. yes. <laughs> Doing that same thing then too. And I had finally reached the point where I had reached out for help. And at that point, my life looked, it was not very pretty. Unmanageable. Very, very that? unmanageable. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> and I reached out for help and, um, yeah, lots of moving parts to it, but my, my son was graduating from the army and we had already had tickets and everything ready for the graduation, for flights, for hotel and everything. But my, I, I was able to get into treatment and I went to treatment up North and, but I wasn't going to miss that graduation because you know, okay. I was still in control. Right. Right. Yep. <laughs> so I there's still it. a little bit there. Anyway, long story short, um, my dad and sister were going with me to the graduation and my dad was going to be with me the whole time and then take me right in after the trip and take me right into treatment. Wait, when right you, in or right back? So you, you wanted right to back. do that before or had yes. you been in treatment? No, I, okay. No. So he was I was not in right treatment. Back. We were going on to the graduation and then take me from there to treatment. Okay. Okay. We know how it's dangerous to quit drinking. Oh uh, yeah. DTs are a real thing. Yeah. So I grew up, um, you know, my family's um, uh, very uh, LDS family. And we have that in common. Yes. And my dad has never had a drink in his life. He's never been around it. He's never touched it, anything. And 
I was trying very <laughs> really <laughs> to not have a drink that day when he was coming to pick me up. And by the time he got there, DTs were sinking in really, oh, really bad. No. And I was not in good shape. And we were heading to Vegas to get on the flight and I was not doing too hot. We made it to Valley of Fire and I was bad shape and I, I, I couldn't take it anymore. I'm like, we've got to pull over. I've got to, I've got to go in here and get a drink. And so I go in and I just buy a couple of little bottles, you know, and I, to get me through, to get me to Vegas so I can get a bigger bottle and make it through the night, you know, the story. <laughs> and so I run in, I grab a bunch and I run in the bathroom to drink them knowing they're just barely going to take the edge off. And so I go drink a couple. The last one will not open. Crazy. It won't at all. I'm like, you've got to be kidding. Is that just because you were shaking so bad? You <laughs> Who <think>? knows? <laughs> and I am like, I yelled at my sister to have her try. She couldn't open it. I'm like, whatever. So, I mean, at this point, I don't know if I had even accepted the fact that I was a real alcoholic. Wow. I knew that I didn't love mm. myself. I, I did not love myself. I didn't love the person that was staring at me in the mirror. So I went out to the car and I'm like, dad, I can't open this. Oh my gosh. Wow. Hand it to him and he's like, well, and he takes that and he opens it. That's and it took some crying love. and he takes it. And I will tell you at that moment, I felt human, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I felt the love of my dad. I felt the love of God and I knew that it was going to be okay. Yeah. And my dad was so cute that whole entire trip and he made sure that I had something the entire trip. Are you going to be okay? Can I get you anything else? <laughs> you got enough to make it through this? And um, from that moment on, you know, that was kind of another, you know. So your dad had enough empathy shot. and enough mm -hmm. kindness to, to get you at least over the bridge until he could truly help you. Yeah. And yeah. he knew that there was an end in sight. Right. Yeah. yeah. That's powerful. Yeah. Your dad's my new favorite guy. I know. Man. What a good dude. And how hard, how hard would have that have been sellers to, yeah, I don't like, know that I could have went to my mom and said, Hey, right. How humiliating is that, that you in front of maybe listen, sometimes our dads are our heroes or our moms or whichever, yeah. but yeah, uh, and you don't want to disappoint them and to have to do that in front of him must have just been really, really oh. humiliating. But oh. also if you can't realize you're an alcoholic at that point, uh, then you're definitely in denial for sure. Well, and the, Cause that, that must've been tough. Like I can't even imagine going to one of my parents and saying, Hey, can you open this bottle for me? Yeah. It's. But, but what a hero he was at that point. I Definitely. mean, well, and, and he's a, he's a mortician and he's seen so many times the other side of it and is just, yep. and I don't ever, ever want to have to put my family to that and have them see me on that end. Yeah. 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 I bet that was extremely humbling. Yeah. I'm definitely. so glad we went back and got this second rock bottom or the first rock bottom. But thanks for letting me share yeah. that. Thank no, you. that was that's the that's the moments that we're looking for is those pit of the stomach moments that and again we don't like to dwell on that, but right. I, I think everybody can relate to something like that. But that just sounds really, really difficult. Oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah. And was. my hope is listeners will hear that and go, Holy cow. How raw is that, yeah. right? How cool yeah. is that? And they'll right. draw some hope from that. Definitely. All right. Well, let's switch gears and let's yeah. get into, uh, yeah. What did you, kind of your road to recovery? So tell me where you, where'd you go to treatment? Yeah. I went to treatment up in Pleasant Grove and I went to Willow Tree. Oh, I love Willow Tree. Me too. I went there twice. <laughs> twice. Uh, I, two I, times. Listen, we love, first of all, um, we love anybody in the whole community who helps people out and willow tree for sure does that yes. so we don't mean to be an advertisement for anybody but i think there's there's room for mentioning people's road to recovery and how they got there i love willow tree me too yeah and listen i know ty the 
one of the owners of steps and he, he isn't a limited resource world mentality kind of guy. Right. Like yeah. I, I, in my own security asked him one time, I was like, does it bother you that we mention other places? And he's like, heck no, I, I know those people. I love those people. Yeah. yeah don't yeah. even, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. If you don't love Jake Forsyth, you don't know who you're, you don't know right. anything. He's a good guy. <laughs> yeah. Jake was amazing through. Yeah, he is. Okay. So tell us how you, your road to recovery, how did you begin to pick up these pieces and start to kind of put them back together? It sounds like it was a slow process and you stumbled yeah. a little bit, but yeah. eventually. I did what they suggested. You know, they oh, gave me oh, some man. some suggestions and I took them. them. I, I, oh, why did I hear did that? I, <laughs> I, I just, I got a mentor in my life <laughs> and yeah. she gives me a lot of suggestions and I go with those. Go with the, I am of service. I, service has definitely kept me sober. I, you know, speaking of other treatment centers, I, I go take me, uh, <laughs> go and visit the other treatment centers, uh, weekly. Um, way to, cool to do what to, to just go take, go out, huh? Be of service out there. <laughs> Con connection, right? Yeah. Community? Connection. Good, good. Yes. Yes. Um, but I think that's been the biggest part for me is to just be of service and to be there for, you know, the next suffering alcoholic, um, just to be there and if they need help or to talk to somebody, um, whatever I can do to get outside of myself and to quit thinking about me and to do something for somebody else. Um, that's been a big, big thing for me. And it feels yeah. so good, right? Yeah. It really yeah, does. It does. Yeah. I remember the last time I saw you, we were doing the service project for Usara. We were cleaning yeah, yeah. up the park. Yeah. And I got to tell you this, I was grumpy on the way there. I was like, <laughs> man, I got a house, I got a condo I could be cleaning right now. <laughs> I could be washing my truck. And then afterwards I thought, man, I love that. You know, it was, it was good. It's yeah. A lot of feel good stuff. Yeah. Okay. Next question. What amends have you made or, or are you in the process of making? Yes. Um, I have a lot of amends to make, which I'm still working on, but most importantly is just my living amends, which I will be doing till the day I die for my, you know, with my, my children. Um, I, there was a lot that happened after my last relapse, my one son and I were not speaking. Mm. Um, he was very disappointed. Um, he didn't want to have a drunk grandma, <laughs> you know, uh, for yeah. his son, which I do not blame him one, one bit. Yeah. Um, it's understandable. Yeah. When my last relapse had happened, um, it was around the anniversary of that robbery. It was, he was, my son was being deployed it was, there was a whole snowball of everything and I can blame it on a million different things because I'm an alcoholic and I've got excuses as the day is long, you know, <laughs> yep. but totally it all relate. comes down to, you know, my spiritually fit condition was, it was just, I was bankrupt at that moment. Yeah. Um, I had let my guard down and I was not taking care of my recovery program. And I had all of those things come at me at once and I wasn't prepared. Um, what does that mean to you? I'm going to pause you real quick. What does it mean to you to take care of your recovery program? Cause we've talked about this on the podcast and I know I've probably beat it like a dead horse, but mm -hmm. like we believe in bio, right? Physical, psycho or emotional, mm -hmm. social, and for a lot of us spiritual. Mm -hmm. So when you say I wasn't right, like, what does it look like? Let's transition it to what do you do today in those areas that help your recovery? Uh, definitely praying, reaching out, working with my, you know, mentor, um, whatever we want to call, you know, some special people in my life. There you go. Um, I work a honest plan of recovery and I work it daily, you know? Um, yeah. There's certain things that I 
do with that? Um, uh, how do I do this? I, I, I work a plan I, in my recovery. You work a 12 step plan. Yeah. You can do that without giving away the yeah, group. Yeah. I, I work in a plan that's a, a little anonymous. Yeah, and so I, what you're doing here, you know, yeah. It, yeah. it's traditions. <laughs> so in what ways, in what ways, so you mentioned you're making amends with, with your son mm-hmm. in, in what ways it, do you try to go about that? Because I, similar, right? Like I want you to be able to feel like you can relate here. I mean, it's been years for me mm-hmm. and there's still some people that I'm trying to make amends with. Mm-hmm. I realized today, I, this kind of dawned on me. I do family groups at steps, part of my internship. And I see these strong connections with families. And in a way I, I kind of think like, man, some of my family connections are superficial. Mm. They are, Yeah. you know, it's kind of like, Hey, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Right? Like, eh. and we move on. And, and so just last night I shot my brother a text and said, Hey man, I know I only contact you when I need things. I, you know, I know I've not been a great brother. Can we talk on a more regular basis? You know? So that's an example. What's an example for you of amends that you, you're trying to make? Effort. And it's just that continuous effort. Mine is continuing and showing up every day and doing those things. Like I was saying, I, we hadn't spoke we literally hadn't spoken almost two years Wow! since he deployed and he came home for Christmas with his wife and his son. I have a great relationship with his wife and my grandson and we talk and FaceTime all the time. Well, he was deployed. Um, he came home. I went up and saw them and everything. We just, we hadn't talked. And then the day before they came for Christmas, he called me and you know, we're still working on that relationship, but just by doing what I need to do and taking care of my life. And it's just time, time takes time. Yeah. Time, effort and proof, right? Yeah. Right. Yep. yep. I love it. Yeah. Got anything you want to share on that? Dr. Sellers amends? No, but I love making them. <laughs> <laughs> I actually don't, I do sort of love making them. Like I haven't, really had trouble once I have been confronted with my issues. I don't have a lot of trouble standing up and saying, yeah, I really screwed that one up or I really blew that or like, I think it's very cathartic to get that stuff out. I think that helps you more than it helps the person you're making amends to. Like it's a great part of growth. Yeah. That doesn't always cure it though. No, like you can say you're sorry, but that doesn't always hurt. Well, yeah, here's the thing. The amends need to be, um, uh, need to really be for you, right? People get to be as upset as they want to about kind of the things that we, uh, offended them in, and we don't have any control over how they react to the amends. And that's really none of our business, how they react to the amends, but we, we make them, and then you keep living them, like Tia said, like her living amends, you keep doing that, you will ab- eventually be forgiven. But what time frame that is, is not, it's not up to us. That's up to the person that we have somehow offended. Yeah. Yeah, that's a it, good point. It's okay if they don't grant. Listen, for me, I offended people for, well, I've offended people all my life, but um, <laughs> based on drugs, I offended people for about a decade. Well, then I get clean and I expect that all of a sudden they're going to start trusting me like the day I get clean, right? I've ruined that trust for 10 years and then think on day one when I haven't used an opiate finally, all of a sudden everybody should trust me again. And that's just not how it works. Yeah. Yeah. We've conditioned them to think that way, right? Like we've, we've trained them to not trust us or take a decade. It might take longer. I don't know, but that's none of my business. My business is what am I doing to make things right? And if I'm on that, if I'm clean and keeping my side of the street clean, then the rest will take care of itself in God's time. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And that's kind of tough too, because I feel like, so we know social is important and what's at the core of social it's family, right? Like family is important. And so I understand that. And Dr. Sellers is absolutely correct. Like it's, it's on their time. It's, it, it's just a, a tough thing because a lot of us that can be sometimes things that will make you go back out. Right. Is mm-hmm. the idea of, well, if I'm always just going to be labeled the addict or the, you know, alcoholic or the black sheep in the family, like 
right? And that's the wrong way to look at it, but people do fall into that pitfall. Right. Absolutely. So it awesome. does go away though. I, I, yeah. A quick example from my life. Uh, after I was finally found out to be a drug addict, right? I was still working and delivering babies. And every once in a while, narcotics go missing from the hospital. And it was so uncomfortable to me every time that happened because I'm thinking, well, for sure they think it's me, right? Because, <laughs> right? because I'm the drug addict and I'm the known drug addict in the room. So for sure they think I probably stole them. And that goes away. That, that goes away all the time. We have on rare occasions at treatment centers where I work, things will come up missing, which are controlled substances. I don't really, I'm not really worried about that anymore. If, I, I don't think anybody thinks it's me anymore. Number one. And number two, if they did, I can, I can do a drug test and pass it. Yeah. Yeah. Great point. Okay. Tia. Yes. What does your life in recovery after 16 and a half months look like today? Like, what do you do for fun? What do you do, you know, to, to blow off some steam or to just, you know, get some inner peace, however you want to, whatever direction you want to take us in. <laughs> life today is good. Life today is beautiful. It's just more calm and serene. I just, I have more calmness now than I think I ever have. Um, you know, I don't have to live in that three ring circus I always did before. Great point. Yep. You know, that I was always planning the drink that you just, that's all life was. Um, I just get to show up nowadays. I get to be the mom that's involved and coherent. <laughs> right. That's actually present. Right. I like, I like it. I like um, it. Yeah. I, I, I'm really involved with, my friends in the recovery community, I have, you know, my family, I get to do things. They can depend on me. I, you know, I'm just a single mom that just enjoys life and, you know, bought myself a little house and just enjoying it, being a little grandma. Can't wait till he moves closer and I don't know. Life is just good. Yeah, life is good. I'm and just she is blessed. so cute. She's trying to be so respectful because, you know, in NAA, they talk about being anonymous in news, <laughs> radio, and film. And so she, she's, you're, I love it. But that's a big part of, I'm just going to go ahead and say it. People can get mad at me. That's a big part of your recovery today, right? Yeah. Is peop, those people and those organizations that have helped you and come around and been a good community for you, as, as well as your family. Mm hmm. Yeah, I love that. Definitely. You're awesome. I'll be the one to get in trouble for that. No <laughs> worries. No worries. Can I talk about that for a second, though? Yeah. Anonymity is we don't have to remain anonymous about our own recovery. Good point. Right. We cannot reveal someone else's. Anything we heard in the rooms of AA or NA stays there, and that's their story to tell, not ours. But we can talk about our story all the, all we want. Sometimes people lean on that anonymity and say, well, I can't, can't really talk about that. Well, yes, you can. If it's your story, you can talk about it all you want. Because anonymous just means you can't, you can't out someone else or you can't you know, talk about somebody else's story. But your story is your story. You can shout it from the rooftops if you want to. Yeah, great point. I don't recommend it always. There seem <laughs> to be times and places that are better than shouting from the rooftops, but you can do it. True. And I am very open about my story and my part of it because I want to be there if anybody ever needs help or any other woman out there needs help in recovery to give back freely what was given yes, to you. Definitely. See, I know. Come on, yeah. give me some. <laughs> I love that's it. The, that's the concept right there, though, right? That's right. what your story does is just remember you when we go back to the beginning of your story, I always felt different. Now, when you open up and tell your story now, other people who felt different can identify with your story and start to feel a connection, which is the freeing part of telling your story is allowing other people to see, hey, maybe I wasn't alone. Maybe I'm not alone. And uh, this makes Dr. Sellers super uncomfortable, but I'm going to do it anyways. I got to give credit to him. Like we give each other a hard time, right? And we're total opposites, but I love this man. Mm -hmm. I really do like a mentor, like as, uh, as a father figure, a couple years ago, he changed my life because he shared his story with me, which gave me permission to share my story with him. 
And ever since then, we've been on this 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 pathway of yeah, we being are. able to here we are, baby, collaborate together. So yeah. got to give him props. Got to give him props. That's kind to say. Wonderful. All right. So to take us out in what has your journey uh, in in recovery and through addiction? What has it taught you? And what is what does it mean when I like the title of this is We Do Recover? What does that mean to you? We do recover. Um. Well, first, and what I've learned is that addiction does not discriminate. Oh, absolutely you know? not. And I love that people that come into the rooms, wherever, you know, you may learn. Whatever rooms you may go <laughs> wherever in. Wherever you're going. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's there's just no judgment, you know? There's zero judgment, I think, because we've all been through it. We've just gone through the depths and we, we know what it's like. And so we're willing to be there and to reach our hand out and to help somebody and just pull them up and help them. Um, I know that I wouldn't be where I'm at without other people in recovery. Um, and we do recover. We're, you know. It's worth it. We're moms Definitely. and dads and yes. people with jobs. Yeah. Tia, thank you so much for coming on and being brave to share your story. I know this isn't the, the easiest thing to do, hanging out with a couple knuckleheads like us, but we appreciate it. Thank you. Join us next week for episode 27. Dr. Sellers will be in house. Thank you for joining us today on We Do Recover with Jared Miller. Help us spread our message of hope. Like, comment, and share. If you have any topics or ideas for future shows, please share that on our Facebook page. That Facebook page is We Do Recover with Jared Miller. If you or a loved one needs help, please reach out to us. Again, thank you for listening. Brought to you by Steps Recovery Center and the St. George Hilton Garden Inn. This has been a production from A Podcast Studio.